Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? All right, excellent. So yeah, it's uh, been a while since I've taught. Seems like ten years, but I think it's a year and a half. Uh, today we're going to talk about what it means to be a confessional church. So, what does it mean? What would you guys call being confessional? It doesn't have to be a Sunday school answer. What does that What does that mean to you? Confess means to agree with. To agree with, okay. Hope you can read that. John, what's it mean? What's it mean to be confessional in your head? It's in my mind. There's a, a, a kind of defined, uh, you know, you know, kind of documented way of synthesizing beliefs in one place, and, and it's a way of a kind of agreeing on, on 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 basics that we can kind of kind of define in a, in a easy to understand format what we what we hold to. Define basics. Okay. What else? Dave, would you just say confessional as opposed to what? Hmm. That's a good question. What is what if a church is not confessional? What is it? Then they're automatically Anabaptists. They're <laughs> Anabaptists. Okay, great. <laughs> Tyler, you have to be quiet from now on. Uh, I would almost say every single church confesses something. something. Right? They all agree with something. Otherwise, why are they together? So one of the, that's what we'll talk about today is what does it mean to be confessional? Why be confessional? What, what does it do for us, for the church? But confess literally means to say together. So, to say together. That's what confess means. So what are we going to say together, right? Um... It's not about confessing our sin. It's about, because there are churches that do that. What churches typically are confessional in that way, that they confess their sin? Hmm? Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics, they have a confessional. If you've ever seen those, some of those are quite beautiful, architectural. Uh, we're not a lot of churches, Methodists. Methodists, they have a confessional? They, well, they, not confessional, but they have a prayer of confession as a part of their order of service. So okay. It's a corporate prayer that you do, but it's a prayer of confession. Obviously, confessing your sin is biblical. If we're faithful, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what we're confessing is our faith. So when we talk about being a confessional church, what we're really doing is we're confessing what we agree with, what we say, what we believe in, and how it'll basically um, rule our lives. So that's what it means to be a, a confessional. So why? Why be a confessional church? Anybody have a good reason for that? Clarity? Clarity. Okay. All right, I'm going to call that unity. So one of the very first reasons that we want to be a confessional church is... Um, 
form of unity is something that we can all agree and it's obviously to say together means there's some unity involved that you're, if you're all saying something different it's not very unified. So it doesn't mean that the documents that we confess to other than the Bible because there are other ones and we're going to walk through that that doesn't mean that those documents, those man-written documents are perfect. It doesn't mean that we can't add to them or make new ones later. But we're going to walk through why does CBC believe in certain things? Why does CBC hold to certain confessions or creeds? Or why do other churches hold to other ones? So unity, as you, you were saying, is, is really one of the main points of why we do this. Um, when we start talking about these confessions, we're going to get into them, and there's a bit of a family tree I want to walk through, because there's a lot of history of why one confession is saying one thing versus another, and uh, we'll walk through that. Um, they are not necessarily, these confessions, the last word. In fact, they're really, after the Bible, the first word that we agree to, and we'll walk through all these different things that we we adhere to. So they don't necessarily speak the last word on a subject, but for a confessional church, they're certainly, after the Bible, the first word. The point of departure it becomes a framework of our community of what we believe in. Jesus told us, you know, confess together. Be confessional together. It's what church is. It's a testimony to what we what our unity, our bond is. As, as a group. So that's really important that we think through. Uh, anybody ever heard of the Heidelberg Confession? We're going to walk through what that is, where that came from, but the very first item in the Q&A for the catechisms that come out of that, uh, what is my only comfort in life and death? Anybody know what the answer is? Bingo. <laughs> that's it, right? That's right. I, that's a whole lot better than I did because I just wrote down um, that I belong to Jesus Christ. Okay, so simplified. That's, would anybody disagree? If you're a Christian, who do you belong to? Jesus Christ. That's easy. That's easy. We can all agree to that. Second, what's another reason that why we want to be a confessional church? Anything. Historically, they were used to kind of define orthodoxy versus heresy, right? So yeah. You have to believe exactly this, or you're something, but it's it's not Christian. So there's only a couple ways to talk about the the, the, the humanity and divinity of Christ, and talk about any other way, it's something else. Right? Standards of orthodoxy. Yeah. What uh, what's wrong? What's not? Right, what's a heresy, what is, is biblically correct. Um, they identify the lines between truth and error. Yeah. Fairly, fairly black and white from, from that perspective in many of those cases. How many things are black and white <laughs> in the Bible? Quite a few. Some are. How many things are gray? So in other words, there's a reason why there's all these standards and why we look at orthodoxy and all the things that happen throughout the church. Um, one of the canons of Dort. Anybody know what that is? Ever heard of that? Canons of Dort, the Synod of Dort. Uh, 
and where that came from. Burnt? I think you said you. No, I have no idea. Uh, 1619, isn't that right, Damien? Uh, no, Cannons of Dort. I think Tyler's in. Tyler? It was the uh, Armenian Calvinist uh, conspiracy. A lot of people think Calvin wrote the Five Points of Calvinism. Actually, he was dead, he was dead. when they were written. They, were, they actually had Five Points of Arminianism first, and it was at this Synod of Dort that they. So, why'd they write those? What, what came out of these canons? To combat what was being fought in the Reformation, which was basically Arminianism. And we'll get back to what that means. It's about the sovereignty of God in salvation. That's one of the main points that that's going to bring up. Jacob Arminius and his followers. Uh, so canons, canon literally means measuring stick. So when we talk about standards and orthodoxy, and you go through the, the history of church, it talks about canons, the canon of scripture. These are these things that literally it become a measuring stick. Um, third, these aren't in any kind of order. So we got unity. That's why we do it. We need standards of orthodoxy. What's another reason why we would want to be a confessional church? Testament to the world. Testament to the world. Identification. What you identify with. So identity. These papers or whatever we're saying, we, we subscribe to the London Baptist Confession of 1689. Well, why do we not subscribe to the London Baptist Confession of 1677? The Savoy or the 1644 or all these other ones. Or why do we not subscribe to the Heidelberg Confession or the Belgic Confession? All these other documents are out there. It doesn't mean we don't, but there are certain things that we identify with, and we'll, we'll walk through that. But it becomes our identity. So when I talk about identity, who we are, where we come from, it's a sense of historical, doctrinal identity that we can find other people that also think the same things. Um, when you think about the Christian church, and... Uh, I probably shouldn't have this because I'm going to be drawing stuff all the time. <laughs> so, okay. That is the Jewish church. Do we separate from the Jewish church? Yeah. The Jewish religion, I should say. Yes, we did. When? Come on. Pentecost? Okay, close enough. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ separated... Now, we can go into that. That's a whole other lesson. Are we separate from the Jewish church or not? Are we a branch or an offshoot? Forget about that for a second. We're just talking about the church. The church, the Christian church, starts with Jesus Christ. Okay? What do you think the first paper written was that all Christians can ascribe to? Again, set aside the Bible. Well, don't set it aside. We know that is our basis. We know that's our foundation. We Talked about that a couple weeks ago. Apostles Creed. Apostles Creed. Anybody repeat that? <laughs> oh, sure, I can definitely do that. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ the Son. I'm reading it. That's fine. Go ahead. I, I couldn't repeat it. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Are there any? What's that? It was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day, he arose again. 
He has sinned in the heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. On the bench, he will come to judge the quick and the dead. Yeah, I believe in him. Awesome. He goes on a little bit more. Okay, so d does anyone disagree with that? In the whole of Christianity, it was written in 200-ish. And of that is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But it's little C. But it's the uniform, the universal church is what that means. So everybody ascribes to that. What do you think came after that? I mean, think about this. For 200 years, they're just trying to come up with that, that one very, very short creed. That's a creed. Anybody ever heard of the Nicene Creed? That was another that came around, I think it was 400, I think, somewhere in that area. Um, that was also a separation in certain beliefs. And they got very, very specific about certain things. So as time goes on, the Trinity, what does the Trinity mean? So we start getting into this thing called the Athanasian. Okay. Athanasian Creed. So this is 200, eh, 400, somewhere around 700. So 700 years before they get to the point of talking about who Jesus Christ is and how he fits into the Trinity and who the Holy Spirit is and who God is and how they relate to each other. That's 700 years from this point, more or less. And the church is still together, for the most part. Now, somewhere back around here, there was this crazy little offshoot called the Oriental Orthodox. And there were a few others that happened. There was, uh, so when you start, I'll, I'll go off on that too soon. There's all these different identification things in confessions and creeds that, that we adhere to. But so far, even through 700 A.D., most of the church was still in line and everything was thinking about the same thing. So those papers that we ascribe to, that's our identity. There's one other thing besides this that we use the confessions for, why we're a confessional church. Anybody think? Not really a wrong answer. Teaching. That's the other reason you have confession, so you can pull from something and you can teach and you can educate and you can disciple. So that, they become very, very important tools. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Catechism, all these Q&As, these are teaching elements. And just for fun, and I'll pass it around, this is the shorter, not the longer, Westminster Catechism has some great questions in there. It just help us understand our theology and our belief. So that's that's really sort of a fourth element. That document right there, the Westminster Catechism, comes from the Confession. You uh, might know when the Westminster Confession was written. Somewhere in the 1600s, right? Uh, do you know how that came about? Because this is foundational to most Protestant churches, or at least Reformed churches, absolutely Presbyterian churches. Why do you think that was important to them? 
so there were uh, 1163 meetings on this confession over four and a half, five and a half years. Can we do the math? That's four times a week for five and a half years. It was 120 clergy, it was 20 laymen, it was House of Lords, the House of Commons, 170 or so people. Four times a week, 1163 times they met to come up with this confession. So this is done in the 1644, I think, that, is that right, Shiloh? That's pretty important, so it must mean something and something we ought to look at. But before we get there, let's talk about what these, what these confessions are and why, why it really matters. So we talked about another way to say a, a confession is a statement of faith, would you say? Anybody disagree with that? Statement of faith. And uh, it's really set aside or describes what Christians choose to believe, why they believe all those things. And uh, the Heidelberg Catechism was in 1563. Anybody read that? Is it because your, your husband's in the seminary right now? No, I did it in Greece last year. That's good. Confession. Anybody here from the Netherlands? That was something that the Netherlands church decided, hey, we're going to write this. This will be our statement of faith. So you go through all these points in history, and men are writing things down. They're trying to, to unify the church, doing all the things that we said before, so that they have something they can believe in. The other thing is, and we kind of talked about it, it has to be adopted by a church. So there's no reason to write... A confession if it's not adopted by somebody, some group of people. Uh, like we talked about earlier, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, to some degree the Athanasian. The further these go, they get a little bit more specific, and certain groups start to disagree with those. But those are incredibly important. In fact, the Nicene Creed, 325 AD, as I wrote this down, it's recognized by churches from all Christianity, both Protestant and Roman, and Eastern Orthodox, which was this split here in 1000. This is this, the, the Great Schism. Anybody heard that? East versus West. Or, in this case, Latin versus Greek. Greek Orthodox, anybody heard of that, right? So this was this big split. And uh, so churches started to see things differently. Fortunately, we don't have to really get into that. I certainly don't want to get into it because I don't know enough. I'll just talk to guys that have been to, to seminary about those things. Um, but all of this is based on Scripture. We talked about that. It's the number one thing that we look at. It's always what we want to to focus on is scripture is inerrant, it's inspired by God, but as was it Tyler you were talking about that a few weeks ago? We get into grammatical historical versus redemptive historical when we look at different ways that people start to interpret or use scripture. So 
So set that aside for a second and think about these are these printed documents that have been done for hundreds of years that people use to perform or ascribe to. So we know it's based on scripture. Anybody heard of A.A. A. Hodge? Famous teacher, Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, 1869, I'm going to just read what he said about, about confessions. Well, however, the scriptures are from God. The understanding of them belongs to men. Men must interpret to their best of their ability each particular part of scripture separately and then combine all that the scriptures teach upon every subject into a consistent whole and then adjust their teachings upon different subjects in mutual consistency as parts of a harmonious system. This is written in 1869, so it run-on sentences are great. Every student of the Bible must do this and all make it obvious that they do it by the terms that they use in their prayers and their religious discourse, whether they admit or deny the propriety of human creeds and confessions. If they refuse the assistance afforded by the statements of doctrine, slowly elaborated and defined by the church, they must make out their own creed by their own unaided wisdom. So that's really an interesting statement because many churches and churches that I've belonged to in the past, we hold to no creed. Really? Okay. So how do you interpret the Bible? God interprets it for me. I wouldn't disagree with that. Luther didn't disagree with that. Does anybody know of a certain sect of, hard to say, Christianity has taken their interpretation of the scripture and made their own way? There's a couple famous ones. What? Mormons? Joseph Smith, the Mormons, the, the story behind that, and that was in the 18, 1800s, maybe late 1700s, uh, where he finds these golden tablets underneath a tree somewhere off on the East Coast, and is now determined that I think the Native Americans are a direct descendant of, of Jesus. Where does he come up with that? Who knows? But anyway, he starts all of the Mormon church based on the Book of Mormon as being more of an authority than the Bible. And that humans have a higher authority than the Book of Mormon and the Book of the Bible. So when a minister from that church says something, it's more authoritative than the Book of Mormon and the Bible. So definitely heresy. Um, right after Martin Luther put his thesis nailed to the wall, there was a group called the Anabaptist. Anybody ever heard the uh, hardcore history? It's like six hours long or something like that on the history of the Anabaptists in the early 1500s. These guys, rightly so, said we can interpret scripture by ourselves. We don't need the church to do it, which is long term, what's the term? when you only use the church to interpret scripture for you? Sacerdotalism. Yes, yeah. Okay, great. So these guys said, we can interpret scripture by ourselves. Luther pointed that out. We're separate from the church. We're separate from Luther. We're going to do our own thing. Those guys ended up creating their own little 
cult, really. The Roman Catholic, which was basically the governing, the government, sieged this town in Germany for several years. They starved them out. They took the, the founder of that company, put him in a cage, and put it on top of a church. That cage is still there today, three, four, five hundred years later. So sometimes going in your own direction and you think you're just listening to God, you might want to check and see if it is consistent with the way other people have interpreted Scripture, how many people have interpreted Scripture that way. Before you go off on just your own unaided wisdom, check your spirit, check the other documents so you make sure you're not in, in, a, in a heretical situation. So the last thing that Hodge wrote was, the real question is not, as is often pretended, between the word of God and the creed of man, but between the tried and proved faith of the collective body of God's people and the private judgment and the unassisted wisdom of the repudiator of the creeds. So basically what he's saying is the same thing he did a lot better than I did. Check what you're thinking back to something else. Check what that something else is and see where it is. Does that make sense? That's, you know, based on Scripture. That's why we do it. So another reason is Scripture. All these confessions that we ascribe to are based in Scripture. One last thing, why, why are confessions, why do they exist? History. Every one of these is written based on a certain time in history and a reason. There was an event, something that happened that caused these people to get together to write these confessions. The Westminster Confession was written because of the, the split that was going on between the church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of England, the government, and, and the Book of Prayer. So they, there were things that were going on at that time that caused a group of people to get together and decide what they believe in. There was a historical event that happened. Um, maybe some lesser known ones. The Belhar Confession of 1982. Apartheid. South American, South African uh, apartheid happened. In 1982, there was the Belhar Confession that was written for these believers on a very, very important issue, slavery. So throughout time, there's always some historic event that happened that causes people to unify, create a statement of faith, decide what they believe in, so that they they have a group that will work together. And what's the difference between that and we, in the recent years we've seen statements come out, the Dallas Statement, the National Statement, so is that, it's, it's less adapted to or adopted by churches or what's the difference between I guess academically between a statement and mm -hmm. a confession time okay more, more than anything time you look back to this you know that's 1800 years ago mm -hmm. over all of the basic history of the, the Christian church this still stands and you go to the, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, and you start walking through these, and a lot of these, the reason they're still 
relevant is because of the just pure test of time and how universal it is. Because there are dozens of confessions out there that we wouldn't ascribe to because they go to a different direction. Um, many, many things like that happen. And you start looking at these, and it gets into church history, but one of the biggest things that happened somewhere around this period of time is uh, the, the debate between Augustine and Pelagian. Pelagius. Pelagius? The Pelagian versus Augustine theories. And those were, those were fundamental to the way we believe as Christians. The depravity of man. Those kinds of issues have become very, very important. I would argue predestination was basically described in, in a lot of Augustine's theories. So those kinds of things start to separate churches in belief systems a lot. Um, that's a good question, though. Because you can look at whether it's 1982 or there was one. Uh, what's that? I think there was one three years, three years ago in Nashville. Well, there's the statements, which aren't, aren't confessions. Confessions are long. They're really long. In fact, the Statement of Faith of CBC, has anybody read that? Hopefully everybody has read that. It's not a, a three-sentence deal like a Nashville Statement or whatever. It's, this is two pages of ten-point text. And I'll, I'll send that around. This is everything from the training God to man to scriptures. It talks a little bit about eschatology, sanctification. Now, just for instance, and you can see these when you... the God the Father, very short, very... Not a lot of disagreement about who that would be, or discussion, or debate. It comes down to things like sanctification. There's a lot more sentences in that. And we start thinking through history, and even in our own church, why is that? Why do we have so much in that? We've gone through a lot of effort, time, and heartache to understand what do we mean by sanctification. So this is our statement of faith, written... Jeremy, when do you think we wrote this? Four years ago? Over time, 60 years ago up to right. some, some recent iterations, right? Um, so I want to talk about where does that fit in, our statement of faith, and all the other pieces that go with it. When you think about what does, what does CBC attribute or ascribe to? Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll do it as a question. What does CBC ascribe to? Great music. The Bible. The Bible, yes. Number one, the Bible. If you're a Bible church, you probably should subscribe, subscribe to the Bible. Yeah. Two, we have, uh, I'll, I'll call it four, really three, but what confession what creed do you know that CBC ascribes to, holds themselves accountable to? 16 and beyond, with some, with some uh, footnotes. I wasn't going to print that one out, because you can get it online. London Baptist Confession. Why do you think we have picked that out of all the documents that you could pick out? 
Thoughts? There's been a lot of history that's happened in 2,000 years since, since Jesus Christ was on the earth. Does that make what he said any less relevant? Of course not. Of course not. Did he, did he talk about the Internet in the Bible? No. Microwaves. Fax machines. No. I mean, there's so many things from a technological perspective that obviously aren't mentioned in the Bible. But the human is still the same entity. It still has the same problem of sin. So when we talk about sin and we talk about what do we ascribe to, one of the very, very important things is to understand how do we look at sin or the origin of sin. Those are all these elements and the London Baptist Confession seems to us and to the elders and through the, really the, the history of the church to be very, very close to what we can ascribe to. So we've got that, the London Baptist Confession. What's the, what's another thing that the church ascribes to? Better be our own statement. Of faith. It's our statement of faith, right? <laughs> so we have our statement. So and you know, okay, this is how old did you say the Bible is? Thirty-five hundred years. Ish, a long time. Uh, inf infinite, we'll say that. 1689, so it's 340 years ago. 30 years ago. So that's 330 years. This is, say, anywhere from five years to 60 years old. Okay? So you can see through time which elements of these should we allow ourselves to change, to modify. Say it again. Anything after the Bible. Right. This is Bible not changing. We're told in Scripture never to add or delete from that. So that's that's concrete. How about the London Baptist Confession? Well, Damien already said there's footnotes to it, right? And he said it's the closest thing that we ascribe to, but it's not exactly what it is because it's still an interpretation of the human, even if based on a lot of history. So you can adjust things with that. It doesn't the, the London Baptist Confession is 98% the same as the Westminster mm -hmm. Confession. What are some things that are different in the London Baptist Confession from the Westminster Confession? Those who have a Presbyterian background. Tracy? Mm -hmm. 
Baptism and the Sabbath. Baptism. Uh, I think Sabbatarianism is still in vogue. Church government. Church government comes out of the, the Savoy, which is 77, I think. And it's just about how Congregationalist, if that's a, that is a denomination, came out of the, the Savoy Confession. But baptism is probably one of the, probably the biggest issues. Uh, the Westminster is paedo-baptism. London Baptist is by submersion, in essence. They believe that it needed to be flowing water, running water, not just simply a big bathtub like we have today. It had to be a river. So, you know, different things. Those things are, are, how important is it? Depends. Are you willing to die for that? Submersion versus sprinkling? What do you think you're willing to die for when it comes to what you believe in? The Bible. Hmm? The Bible? The Bible? Okay, that's who, easy, who Christ, right? Who Christ is and... So... There's been a lot of people killed regarding Christianity over the centuries, wouldn't you say? The Crusades. There was a church that Tracy and I visited in York, England, which is fascinating. If anybody's ever been there, the, the history of, of just England. There was a church there that was St. Albans, I think. It was, uh, however the guys, he was a, a he was a, uh, Norwegian or, or a Viking in essence and they had a church after it was a beautiful little church and it was right next to the ruins of the Catholic Church that was torn down during the Reformation and this little tiny Viking church on the front of it is this statue of this Viking with this sword so guess how he converted people <laughs> by sword you either believed what he did or he killed you so you think about certain things that people are willing to die for throughout the history of the church. When you start looking at the, the these that, that were written in, in England, there was a very, very fundamental difference between Christ, uh, I should say that, Protestant and Catholic. And people were willing to die for it. Do you know what that was? Anybody heard the term transubstantiation? The way the Catholic Church believed that the communion was a physical piece of Christ. And that every time you took it, it was his blood, it was his body, literally, not figuratively, but literally. And the Protestant Church, if I can do this, paraphrase it, basically said Christ died once and for all, for all sins. We're not going to continue to kill Christ every time we take communion. And there were many, at least five famous preachers that were burned at the stake in front of the church because they would not go against that statement. So you think about the importance of these statements of faith. At some point, I hope this doesn't, I pray it doesn't happen in America, but what we believe can become a life or death situation. Let's hope it never gets to that. But it certainly has throughout history. There's no question about that. So something to consider. When we write these things down and we ascribe to certain things, they do become points of contention. Great, healthy debate over dinner, or is it something more significant? So these are, these are not 
to be taken light. The last thing, one more thing. You as a Christian, I'll say even outside of or in addition to church, if you believe in the Bible, you ascribe to the 1689, you agree with the statement of faith of a church, what's the last thing you've got? Your convictions, your own understanding, and I'll, I'll describe that as the Holy Spirit. It goes all the way back to Martin Luther, and when he said, my conscience won't allow me to do the same things that, that were going on in the Catholic Church. That, at the end of all this, or even really at the beginning of it, is incredibly important that your own personal relationship your understanding, the way the Holy Spirit guides you, is important and definitely foundational what you believe. But it has to start here with the Bible. And then we work down through there. Um, will we change our statement of faith? Yes. Yes, as time goes on, we've changed it. I don't know how many times since the beginning of the church, but it has modified. And it has changed based on certain elements, where we are as a church, all those things. Uh, regarding the church? Yeah, just our statement. I mean, since it's been changing over time. You know, I think we, the, the uh, statement on sanctification, for instance, we have modified, every one of those we went through in the last four years, four or five years yeah. changed a couple of words, Come added more scripture. It's like you know, the five paragraphs, those are what they're changing. <laughs> yeah. If it's yeah. a sentence, you know it's old. We, the longer ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we used to be more uh, dogmatic about end times, yeah. so we change that because that's not something that's clear enough to divide over. Right, and Damien hit all of those, what's first and second, third, what's essential, what's permissible, all of those things when you start talking about faith. There's a lot of stuff we can agree on or disagree or have a good debate, uh, that's fine, but where do we start? And I go back to the, the um, Heidelberg Confession first question that Courtney answered. What was the answer again? Well, I didn't even say the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, well, just the abbreviated version of it. <laughs> that, that we belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. Let's let's agree on some very simple, fundamental things. And I still remember, um, Phoebe, when you were in, in um, uh, home church a few years ago, we were talking about this issue, and and it was so easy to start parsing words and defining or dividing uh, how we believe, but it came basically back to that statement. It's Jesus Christ. That's what we believe in. We belong to him. Let's work these other things out through time. We're all going to be amazed when we're in heaven. And you're like, I didn't think you were going to make it. You believe this. How? And they're going to say the same thing about us. One of those crazy Calvinists. Or something like that. I think we'll find out a lot of uh, a lot more room for unity than than we often create sometimes. Questions? I was going to go through a whole family tree, but no, it's it's too hard. I will uh, I will mention after that 1,000 when the East and the West split. Anybody know the next 
major schism? Reformation. Yes. 1517. We'll start there with Martin Luther, the 96 thesis, 95 thesis. Uh, and then so we start with Lutheran. And we'll keep the Catholics over here. All of these things start to split from there. You have Presbyterian, you have Baptist, you have Congregationalist, you have Anglican, which is probably closer to Catholic. All of these have statements of faith or confessions or creeds that they ascribe themselves to. But if we take all this stuff back, you got to start somewhere that we can all agree on. That's all I got. Okay, thanks everybody. Really quickly, Dave, stop the recording. Since everyone's here and we're done early.